1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? Please, please, I don't want to die. You're not going to die. Don't let me fall. Matheson has been transferred from the Denver office to Frisco, and as a professional courtesy between offices, I was asked if he could hitch a ride. Got plenty of room. Be glad to accommodate you. Bruce got an emergency call. Five climbers just ran off Combe Left. I haven't climbed in months. You just lose the feel. Maybe you mean the nerve. Where's the helicopter? What the hell's going on? What are your names? Tucker and Walker. Well, Tucker and Walker, we're missing three bags. What's in them? None of your fucking business! Fuzz! Where is the money? <sighs> And welcome to Back to the... This is not Back to the Bins. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spitaro, and this time I out, I am joined by Mr. Brian Hughes. Hi! And Mr. Chris Tyler. That's right, America's favorite guest co-host. How you boys doing? Pretty good. I could complain, but it really wouldn't matter, so I'll just say I can't complain. There you go. Nobody wants to hear the complaints, so let's. I know, you know. I know. It's, just, you know. it's, it's, it's it, the question was rhetorical. <laughs> but uh, we're here today to uh, discuss uh, Die Hard on a Mountain. I guess it is Die Hard on a Mountain, isn't it? Yeah, it was. Oh, come on, that was the whole era of Die Hard on a Blank. 
Mm. I mean, the 90s, that's all. Every action movie was referred to as Die Hard on something. I'm waiting for Die Hard on a Ritz cracker. Oh, that's when you let the, the, the cracker barrel stay out on the counter and it gets all crusty. <laughs> but you're dying for that last cracker and cheese. So you just you so put you it have on it anyway. Yeah. You take your chances. Yep. But, uh, I mean, this this one had the uh, pedigree for Die Hard because it's directed by, uh, what's his name now, all of a sudden? Rennie Holland. Like Rennie, Rennie, Rennie Holland, who directed Die Hard 2. That's right. And, you know, we, we are, you know, I think we already know pretty much if it has Sylvester Stallone in it, Chris is on board. There you go. It doesn't matter. It could be over the top. It could be oh, stop or my mom will shoot. It, Ooh, you know, it, it, that one. <laughs> <laughs> but you know you're, you're, you are you know it, it brings me back to when I used to talk to, to people about like albums when, when a, you know an artist would come out with a new album and like I had one friend who was a, a huge Bruce Springsteen fan so what I said is you can't ask him hey how's the new album because of course he's going to say it's great you know everything that, that Springsteen put out was great so we really can't ask you hey how's that new Stallone movie <laughs> Well, you could. I'll be objective. But we're doing it anyway. <laughs> I'll be, I can be objective. They're not all winners. Like, don't you know, don't invite me on for daylight. I mean, okay. come on. But, you know, it, it's, I, I was thinking about this today, that, like the progression of Stallone as an actor. Uh, and, you know, once, once he kind of made it big in Rocky, you know, and he became a household name, you could see he was trying to do things that were a little bit more... I don't want to say artsy, but a little bit more weighty. Movies like Fist yeah. and uh, Victory, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. And then, then you know, the action hero era came in, and we got Cobra and Cliffhanger, and you know, then then we we also got the silly, you know, over the top and movies of that nature. And Stop on My Mom Will Shoot, uh, oh, and Brian Stone. I don't even know what what era we're in now with with uh, with Stallone. I think it's it's hang. Let me hang on and do anything that's gonna you know that's, that's gonna make me look good. You know, it's let me do another Rambo. Let me do another Rocky. But but his his career it's, it's like it goes up and it goes down and it just always seems to bounce back. He's got like that yeah, but, quality about him. I mean, he just did uh, last year, obviously the Suicide Squad playing King Shark, and that was just brilliant use of Stallone. And he was my favorite character in the movie. <laughs> yeah. That was the only part of the movie I liked. <laughs> and, and he'll be in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And, and what was what was the character? I mean, his, his character's name in there was what? Stalker? Starhawk, yeah. And so I was I was excited to see that, and, and I'm pretty sure they're going to up his screen time there and, and he's in Yon, with yondu in this one wait yondu's back no i mean in cliffhanger yeah well yeah <laughs> well that's it's a totally it's a, it is a totally different michael rooker as far as i'm concerned uh he he, he progressed as an actor over the years and uh you know at this point in his career michael rooker i knew him from uh i think it was from eight men out uh, and, and Days of Thunder, Tombstone. Yeah. So he, he, he I thought I thought he had he had more uh, more range. Let's be fair about it. I guess more range back then in the roles he took. 
you know, he was usually a backup actor. He you know, he yeah. he was not the star of any of the movies, but but he 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 I thought he was like a real up and coming second banana type actor. He wanted uh, to be a leading man and then found that he wasn't getting cast as leading man. He was always going to be the foil. Yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, his his persona seemed to totally change. You know, he did a 180 as far as I was concerned once he took over the role on uh, Walking Dead. Because that just seemed to. I don't know, it just yeah. seemed. It, like, like the, the earlier roles, even when he was a foil, there was always some sort of, like, earnestness to him. This, on The Walking Dead, he was just a bad guy. I mean, that's just him pulling pulling Henry Portrait of a serial killer out of his back pocket again, though. I mean, that's... Uh, I think if, if if you had known who he was from then, you would have said, this guy's not... I mean, he's got leading man ability, but he's never going to be a leading man because he... You see him, and after Henry, like, you kind of know what he is. <laughs> you know? He's a, yeah. he's a very good character actor. Well, I remember yeah. in the in the 80s debating uh, with one of my buddies, not in the 80s, excuse me, in the, the 90s, like in the mid-90s, and we're talking about, you know, guys who who are really good but just don't have quite that leading man, you know, box office appeal. And and the debate was Michael Rooker versus Bill Paxton. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it, you'd have to throw Michael Bean in there, too, because all those guys are great actors, right? Like, they pop up in something I'm marking out big time because I like seeing them, and they always do a great job. But, yeah, they're not they're not leading man guys. Yeah, you but know? Bill Paxton still got um, – golly, I can't even remember the name of the Tornado movie. Twister. Twister, mm-hmm. yeah. He was he second t- banana to the Twister in it. Come on. <laughs> Hold on, <laughs> Hunt. And Jamie Griffith. Hell on it, yeah. So – yeah, and then, you know, it's at the time, I remember when we were having the debate, I was kind of on Team Rooker. Uh, but I'm also the guy who watched Bosom Buddies and thought that Peter Scolari was going to be the one with the, the big career. Wah, wah. So, you know, what do I know? Wait, Peter Scolari was on Bosom Buddies? I thought it was a Donna Dixon uh, show. Yeah. Uh, she, she, got, she got Dan Aykroyd out of it, yeah. <laughs> But back to Cliffhanger. <laughs> I saw this in the movies, and based upon the, the uh, PMs we were sending back and forth, Chris, you, you, just, you saw this one in the movie in the theater as well? This was my first rated R movie in the theater. And this was, like, so not an R-rated movie. Um, so there's some rough language. I wouldn't say anything above and beyond. I think if you have somebody calling somebody a bitch, even in that type of situation where it's not played for comedic effect, that's going to get the MPAA on you, especially at that time. Um, the violence that in it is not—it's it, not—it's not particularly graphic. It's, it's not, not Rambo level, but you know when you body a guy and push him onto a uh, you know stalactite. Um, yeah, it's yeah, you know. I, I think, I think, I think guys, this was this was legitimately a PG-13 as far as I'm concerned. Well, I got to ask you guys, how did you watch it to get ready for tonight? Because I watched it uh, on, on Netflix. You watched it? it was, it's on Netflix. Yeah. Because I, I went on there and it said it wasn't on there. I had I actually, uh, and this is so sad. I had played it on Directv off of uh, BBC. It was either on BBC or AMC Plus, <laughs> and it was. 
cut for violence. Oh, yeah, the BBC version is cut by about 20 seconds. I I, I mean, it, this is me we're talking to. I, I bought, I have this, I own it. Like, they, they I, I also own the out, DVD, by the way. They, they completely cut out the base jumper guys. They're really? Whole, yeah, they completely cut them out of the movie. And every violent scene, uh, every gunshot and everything, it was like uh, quick cuts. And, and, and I, I really hated watching it. And of course, watching it on the the TV I have here in my office, I wanted to watch it in the in the other room. But my wife was my wife is working, and it, it's on the other side of the wall from her office. Uh, so I couldn't do that because we got an 85 inch big screen in that in that room, and I'm just like, that's the way you should watch it. It's got to be seen on a big screen, and then it, obviously in the theater. Yeah, it is, it is amazing to watch, and and just the the views and everything that they gave. I think the movie really suffers when you watch it on anything smaller than than probably a fifty five inch screen. Because watching on a thirty two inch screen, it, it just lost all the the hoods that it had, you know. Yeah, it's, I would it's, agree. It's shot like a dream, um, my, you know, minus some of the compositing effects. But uh, yeah, I mean, for this kind of movie, if you it's an outdoor movie, you put put the actors on the mountain and roll the camera, you know. Well, this. It, you know, this is, I think in particular, the opening sequence in this movie. You know, the 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 whole scene there on on the, uh, you know, on the rope and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Has like has an intensity to it yeah. uh, that kind of sets up the whole movie. And I, I, you know, to be fair, I don't think the movie ever reaches that height again. And no, no pun intended. Uh, as far as the intensity and and the you know making you like dig into the armchair the arms of your chair they uh, cut out that scene they cut really? out the scene that was supposed to do that there was a a 40 foot jump that Stallone was supposed to do in one scene and they ha- it's in the trailer yeah you, you see it in if you watch the original trailer you see it but when they showed the movie the test audiences they laughed at that at that scene so they took it out they restructured it it's still in there but they've taken out the mountains on one side of the screen and shortened it a little bit. And so that's where Stallone is coming out and leaping over against one of the guys. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would be all for the, the crazy jump. I mean, that's kind of why I'm there, but you know, well, they did it in vertical limit. Oh God, that movie was boring. <laughs> now this, this movie does is not boring. No, <laughs> you got to give no. it that. It's definitely one of your, you know, your nonstop action for the most part movies. You know, they, you have your quieter scenes to set up the motivation of the characters to give them a little bit more than, you know, just letting them be two dimensional. Uh, but, you know, pretty much it's, you know, it, it, it is a, you know, one of the diehard clones and they pretty much hit that from the start. And I do think, you know, you have buff Stallone at the height of his powers. Uh, you know, I, I, still kind of preferred the pre steroid Stallone uh, <laughs> as an actor. Uh, but as an action star, the, the steroided Stallone, this is, this is when he was at his best. I think, you know, he, he, he looked like a, you know, he looked like he could, he could hold his own against Arnold Schwarzenegger at this point. Uh, you know, he was lean, but muscular. I mean, he, he you could, you can suspend belie- disbelief and actually believe he's doing the things that he looks like he's doing in this movie. Yeah. Although, yeah. although reading up on it a little bit, they say, uh, you know, real rock climbers laugh at this movie, that it's very unrealistic, apparently. 
Eh, that's fine. I'm not going to see a real rock climbing movie. I've, I saw the one about the guy who scaled the, you know, free climbed. I can't. What the trade center? No, the one oh. the one of the big rocks. K two or I can't remember. It was on some is documentary. And that was I, yeah, I have was, this one. I have this one, and I have Captain Kirk climbing up the El Capitan. That's yeah, I mean. that's yeah. And that's that. That's what I want to see. I, real life is is great, but if I'm going to the movies, I want to be entertained. <laughs> yeah, but I I do have you know I do have in reality a uh, fear of heights. Uh, I do find myself in when I'm watching movies like this or. Uh, when when we watched uh, the walk, we saw that in the theaters. That's the one with the guy doing the tightrope walk between yep. the uh, the towers of the trade center. Uh, mm-hmm. I do find myself, you know, digging my fingers into the uh, the arms of my seat. Yeah, uh, I'm not good at the heights either. <laughs> or, or or when uh, when uh, Bruce Willis was falling down the air duct in uh, in Die Hard. Oh, those yeah. those are scenes that you know they really do get me like squirming in my seat. Uh, and 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 you know. I squirm, but you know it's it's kind of like watching a horror movie. Uh, you you know it's not real in reality, so you you can kind of enjoy the scare, but not get overwhelmed by it. Uh, yeah. And this this movie definitely hits those buttons for me. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's a it's a it's a roller coaster ride. This movie. It's a, it's it's pretty much a pure action movie once uh, John Lithgow hamming it up. He wasn't even supposed to be in it. It was originally, um, well, they wanted David Bowie. Oh, that would and, then, so. and Christopher Walken actually signed to do the movie. And just before they started filming, he backed out. Uh, and so they brought in John Lithgow. And Lithgow is brilliant. My yeah, I, I love him in this. I, then again, I don't really think he's ever really given a bad performance in anything. It's just what level of Lithgow do you want? You know? Well, you know, I mean, you could you could argue that he gave a bad performance in this movie, but it was enjoyable despite that. Mm-hmm. Uh, his his accent, from what I understand of people who know better than me, was laughable. Uh, and and he was definitely chewing up scenery. I don't think you know there was there was no subtlety to his performance at all. Uh, so I don't know that it, I don't know that you can call it a great performance on his part. Uh, and I have seen him give what I would call great performances. Uh, and one of the th- things I like about Lithgow is I feel like he, he is a little bit uh, he, he's very flexible in how he plays his parts. Because, you know, I picture him in this compared to like Third Rock and, um, from the Sun compared to uh, the world according to Garp. Uh, I mean, just just very, very dramatically different movies. Or, or yeah. different characters that he's played, uh, so I, I, I give him a lot of credit for that. Uh, and and I like I said, I don't know that his performance here that I could put it up on a uh, on any kind of pedestal as you know as far as quality goes. But he chewed up the scenery and it served the purpose of what this movie needed. Yeah, I, I mean, say what you will about his performance. I mean, from from the time they're doing that mid-air heist. You know, until the, the the helicopter crashes at the end of the movie, like it's, you know, you're getting pulled along for the ride. Mm-hmm. I, you know, he, he's, he was he's the kind of villain hated. I wanted to see. He was the kind of villain I wanted to see at the time. So, I, and because I I remember seeing him a few years before in like Ricochet, which was oh, yeah, is, yeah, is yeah, also nice. one of those real nice manic villains he played. Yes, and. And it just he got to get some decent lines in there, um, 
was, do you know what real love is? Sacrifice. You know, it's just mm-hmm. good delivery. Good delivery. But yeah. I mean, in I particular, the scene at the end, I feel like he, he's like, you know, he, he's just so over the top when, with, uh, when he's like, what is, what is he yelling out? Walker from the helicopter. <laughs> well, the, the like, moment when, when the chain on the, the, the chain on the helicopter catches, and he realizes he's lost control. You look on the on the face, and that's someone that's scrabbling for that last moment alive. You see that desperation and all that stuff. And I thought that was, it was like a, a one second cut, but it was some of the best work he did in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and that's yeah, I know that. That's it. But you know, it, it's it's a it's a tough dif- differential that I'm trying to present though, because I'm saying it wasn't a great acting job, but it was exactly what the movie needed. I agree. So, I agree. so yeah. you know, it, it's yeah. a it's it's tough to blame him for not giving a great act, acting job, but I can't sit here and put him up on a pedestal for it either. I uh, no, I'm not putting him on a pedestal. I I I, en- I enjoy his performance immensely in the film. This movie was nominated for numerous uh, Razzie awards. What? Uh, it was nominated for worst picture. What? Worst supporting actor, John Lithgow. What? Worst Supporting Actress, Janine Turner. Uh, and Worst Screenplay. Now, it did get nominated for the Star Wars Oscars. Best Sound, Best Effects, uh, Best Sound Effects, and Best Visual Effects. Oh, and, 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 it, and I mean, it was... <laughs> in, in those awards, it may have gotten, you know, whatever it did. But in the popularity level, uh, you know, it got fairly decent reviews. And it, it made a ton of money. Oh, yeah. Yeah, as it should have. It, 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 this was, it was a summer movie, wasn't it? It was released on May twentieth, nineteen ninety three, in Cannes, and it came out a week later. So Memorial States. Day weekend. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so kick off yeah. in the summer season. Yeah, it's it, it's a summer action movie. What I mean, what if what, I just I don't know. Well, you know, I think I look at the Academy Awards and. You know, being being an old codger, in the 1970s, the Academy Awards meant a lot to me. And I started thinking, well, you know, is that because I was young and it, it just seemed more important? No. It, in the 1970s, they seemed to differentiate between quality and popularity, but not necessarily make them mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Then we got to the 1980s and all of a sudden movies like Ordinary People and Out of Africa and, you know, movies that really had no right to win a Best Oscar, Best Act, uh, best, <laughs> best Picture Award were winning it uh, because they were artsy. And, and all of a sudden it was like the Academy started to care more about that than care about, you know, Excuse me, what Annie made Hall? it a good movie. Any Hall? Annie Hall, Hall was a very Star good Wars. movie. It did not win. It did not deserve to win Best Picture, but it was a very good movie at least. And what, what beat uh, out? Uh, I mean, Joss didn't even get Best Picture nomination, did it? Uh, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Yeah, I couldn't either. Because I remember watching Spielberg's own reaction to it. Because um, you know he he made a video of, of him watching the announcement and saying he was a victim of his own success. I, I remember uh, like a big thing being uh, in 1990 when they, you know, when when they were doing the okay, let's look back oh. on the decade of the 80s, and pretty much 
universally, people were saying the best movie of the 1980s was Raging Bull. It did not win Best Picture the year it came out. But meanwhile, people are saying it's the best movie of the decade. Yeah, yeah. Now they're saying it, it got nominated for Best Picture. It did not get nominated for Best Director or Best Soundtrack, which Best Score, which golly. Yeah. Uh, Jaws lost Best Picture to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, so I don't think you can really. No, no that's you, you know that's I, I, I flip a coin. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, yes. those are those are both draws. Yeah, exactly. So yep. you know, when you have two movies that are that great, one of them beating out the other is not an embarrassment. No. Anyway, back to this movie. Like you said, this this movie is not going to compete with those as far as gravitas goes. <laughs> uh, this 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 is just hey, you know what? It's going to be a lot of action and a lot of fun, and try not to worry too much about how they're doing what they're doing. Just believe that they are. And that is popcorn in your cup. Enjoy it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, and, and you know, they do did surround Stallone with enough people who were enjoyable to watch that he didn't have to put this one on his shoulders and carry it. You know, we mentioned John Lithgow. We mentioned Michael Rooker. Uh, we also got Janine Turner, who, you know, she she had a little bit of a damsel in distress at moments. But overall, she she was pretty, uh, pretty solid okay. in the role and yeah. pretty, pretty, pretty likable in the role. Yeah. We we had a a small small appearance by Paul Winfield, yeah, mm-hmm. which is always likable. We had a uh, Ralph Waite, who is the uh, Paul Walton, at least that's where I knew him from. Uh, and then you know one of the things that just made me sad, uh, I, you know we talk about you know you see somebody and you think okay this this guy's destined for more. Uh, when I saw Animal House, you had John Belushi, mm-hmm. and then okay who's oh. the next guy? D-Day. 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 So yes. cool. And Bruce McGill in this movie is just, you know, it's it's he, he's so badly used. <laughs> he's just, you know, it's okay. We're going to just kill him off easily. Did he even have any dialogue? I'm trying to remember. I, I don't remember I, if I don't... he actually said anything, but, he, you know, he, he didn't get he, he didn't get to really. They didn't do right by him, as far as I'm concerned, until My Cousin Vinny, where they finally gave him a little something to do. <laughs> He's in Jack Reacher, the, the, the Reacher series right now that's uh, on Prime, which I have you not watched watch. that, but I heard it's pretty good. Watch it. It's awesome. That's all I'll say. Is there anything in this movie that you feel is subtext? Subtext. <laughs> uh, hmm. Well, okay, using the Piton gun... Uh, as like a, a phallic symbology for uh, no, I, I really have no idea. <laughs> um, I wasn't getting it, but hey, I, you, I was I was there for the punchy punchy run run. So yes, okay. So you know that that's actually the purpose of my question is it just brings us back to what we were saying earlier because I didn't see any either. Uh, I, I and mean, I think if, you if, want, if you're if you looking that for that kind of subtext, then I think you need to go. We need to go back to the Rocky movies, so or, or the Rambo movies. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's at least a little something, there's there's messages in them and whatever, but this this is just, you know, okay. Evolution Man to give you your subtext, all the the (laughs) different. (laughs) But, but you know, we're we're talking about, like, this being diehard, you know, on a mountain, Mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, so we're going to just plug Sly into the uh, Bruce Willis role, and we're going to plug John Lithgow into the Alan Rickman role. Now, 
I got to say, Rickman did a lot better oh, yeah. <laughs> than, yeah. than Lithgow, but he was given, I think he was given a little bit more to play with mm-hmm. uh, as far as his character goes. But, you know, it's, it's, we want our good guy to be somebody everybody in the audience is rooting for, and we're not going to really show you any kind of faults to him. We want our bad guy to be pretty much pure evil, and, and you know, we're going to do everything to show you that, including having him kill his girlfriend just because of greed. Um, I mean, Stallone drops the chick at the beginning, man. He's, yeah. he's not flawless. He's, and, he's and no, broken. he's not flawless. He's not flawless, but that's not a character flaw. Well, that, that's actually what Michael Rooker's character was trying to say is that it was him going out there to get her instead of letting them, you know, stabilize the line and pull her in. He's like, no, no the, he, time. I there was there was no time. I mean, it's they show pretty clearly if they had taken time to stabilize the line, True. she was going to let True. go and fall. In fact, she does let go and fall and he catches her. So so, you know, the, the, he, he did not make the wrong move there. That, that no. you know he he had he had no blame for what happened. It's just you know the only thing you can blame him blame him for that is that he just wasn't able to to pull that one out of out of you know pull the rabbit out of his hat because he did yeah. everything possible to save that girl. Yeah, but it, I mean it still it had enough of an effect on him where he disappears. You know. Yeah. Yeah, he it, leaves, it, it, but he doesn't. The... Yeah. So 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 now you're putting him you're putting him in a position where due to no fault of his own. He has self-doubts, and now he's got to deal with this basically insurmountable problem. You know, can you say die hard, anyone? Uh. But, you know, the, the, the one thing it was missing was the, you know, I'm Dwayne T. Robinson. I'm in charge here. You know, you had Paul Winfield, but he was, you know, support and, you know, trying to figure things out. He never once appeared like he was going to, you know, hamper any of the heroes. Though the closest person that would have been Zach Grenier, who played Davis. You know, he's always the the uh, bureaucrat in every movie that he's in. Swordfish, this movie, uh, the boss in Fight Club. But they didn't even give him enough to do to to you know be a monkey in the wrench. The yeah, I don't. Movie. I don't think. I don't think. I think if you would put you know Agent Johnson and Agent Johnson in this one, <laughs> it would have just come off as too much of a copy of of Die Hard. You know, this this was you know. We could at least differentiate it a little, not a lot, <laughs> but a little. But if, if you start even taking those beats from it, I think you know, <laughs> it, it's like, well, I might as well just go out and get the, the VHS of, of Die Hard, and not go to the movies and see this. No, no, you're right. And the one guy that, that could have been it was that Agent Matheson who got shot pretty close, pretty early on. So, yeah. but you know. I think you got to give credit to this one for some beautiful cinematography. Oh yeah, yes. Uh, I mean, you, you, it's it's breathtaking at, at times when you're looking at the scenery that they they show you. Uh, and and I thought Rennie Harlan and his you know whoever he had editing this did a really nice job with it. I th- I think it stays focused through the whole movie. Uh, you know, the performances are. It, it's there's a variation because I feel like you know like Janine Turner is kind of subtle with her performance, you know because her performance doesn't call for her to be over the top. But anyone who's got any kind of uh, an emotional scene in this is totally over the top. 
you know, Michael Rooker is, is chewing up scenery in his scenes. Uh, you know, John Lithgow is chewing, chewing up his scenery. And even Stallone, to some extent, is, is chewing up the scenery, you know, with his brooding, angry, you know, guy. That's why uh, I paid my seven fifty though. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but I think I'm, I was going. My point is, I think Rennie Holland did a good job of modulating the guys where they needed to be, but letting them just cut loose when 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 it was appropriate. As far as editing goes, this was done by Frank. I, I guess it's Uriost, who did who edited Die Hard. He edited uh, Roadhouse and RoboCop Rose. and Red Sonja, uh, Boys in Company C. Uh, you know, a bunch of, bunch of movies that are, that are pretty well-known. Conan the Destroyer. Okay, that's a bad mark. Uh, <laughs> and the Hitcher. Well, you know, I'd, I'd have to watch Conan the Destroyer again, and I haven't seen it in many years, yeah, to see to see if I had a problem with the editing. I'm not yeah. sure mm-hmm. I do. It's edited fine. Yeah, I, it's a basic instinct, Tombstone. I mean, the guy's got a great pedigree in there. Because um, I think Tombstone was made in the editing. Yeah, Kurt Russell and the editor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I mean the movie was edited really well. I I, I did notice what again what the, on my most recent watch when you're a little bit more critical and you're not just letting it burn a few brain cells, um, you you tend to catch things and you know I, at this point I was actually able to tell when the stunt doubles were being used in certain certain scenes, especially yeah. where Stallone was concerned. Um, but it, it is funny to note that the same guy that was Stallone's stunt double was at one time um, Michael Rooker's stunt double and even Janine Turner's stunt double. Uh, <laughs> so I have to assume that was when they were doing the uh, cliff face run. Mm. Um, but <laughs> the the, uh, the the most of the movie was seamless. I did find that there were several scenes where they had a lot of fog in there and it made it look a lot smaller. And not as polished, like maybe it was done on a stage rather than uh, out out in the the cold of the wild. Mm. Yeah, you can kind of tell when it's on a set, but I mean, what are you gonna do? You know. Yeah. But again, you know, the the large panoramic vista views were, especially in the theater, uh, they would create that that you know moment where you feel like you're gonna fall. Um, there is a, a theater here at the Museum of Science and History where they played this, and it's the Omni Theater. And they only played like 20 minutes of the movie. Uh, and it was like just all the the, the scenes where they're like the, the, the incredible views and such. And every one of them in, in that screen where you're on that angle and the screen is so close to you and it's in that um, half circle, whatever you call it, the, the oval – it you just feel like you're gonna fall in. Yeah. And uh, obviously, watching on the 32 inch screen, I felt like I was gonna lose that. I, you know, I, I felt like I lost that. Just uh, it wasn't as grandiose, unfortunately. Yeah, well, like you said, I, I think you know it does really call for a uh, a big screen. You know, yeah. Otherwise, absolutely. Otherwise you, you lose a little too much of the. Uh, grab the grab the arms of your chair attitude. You know you. you if you're watching it on your iPad, it's probably not the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how people watch stuff on a tablet. <laughs> it depends on what what I'm watching. I, you know, when I'm on the treadmill, I watch a lot of stuff on my tablet, but I'm not watching movies with grand vistas and you know things things like you see in this movie. Yeah. 
uh, I'm watching more more character pieces is is generally my goal. But anyway, sticking with this one, what do you guys think of the score? I really like the score on this. I wanted to look that up. I didn't get a chance to look that up. Is that the same guy that did Predator? Is that Alex so. Silvestri? Tre- Tre- no, Trevor Jones. Trevor Jones? Mm-hmm. Golly, because I, I honestly thought that whoever did it had done the the Predator soundtrack. And it that says one just, here that, that he's, he's worked on Excalibur, which uh, uh, yep. is a really good movie. Runaway Train, which I think is an underrated movie. The Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. Oh, wow. Uh, apparently it came, I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page, this score came under some criticism for being too similar to the score for The Last of Mohegans, which Jones also did, uh, and they were very apparently very similar to each other, and people complained about that. But uh, having never seen The Last of the Mohegans, I don't really have a problem with that. Uh, he did Dark City. And he also did the Ninja Turtles movies. <laughs> I don't remember the score standing out in those. Uh, I the just, first one I, I did. I just, I just remember Vanilla Ice doing uh, something the, in one of them. The Ninja Rap, that was part two. That's, yeah. That's horrible. <laughs> you know what? You're horrible, and I don't want to be on this show anymore. <laughs> <laughs> now, in Labyrinth, did he do the actual Labyrinth back in the... Uh... Was that the Bowie. David Bowie one, or is that the miniseries that's coming out now? No, I think he did. Oh, he David did. Yeah, he Bowie did both. One. Actually, he did no, both. It, 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 the stage name is John Dupree for most of his stuff. Or maybe he did that just so that people, you know, when he was doing different things. But yeah, um, no, that's he's been around for a long time. And yeah, him. Oh, ripping yarns, which uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. That's an old. British TV series, a lot of the uh, Eric Idle and Michael Palin did a lot of work on. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one. Anyway, I'll shut up now. (laughs) Apparently, this was greenlit for a sequel uh, very shortly after this had come out, you know, like a year later. They were going to do one where uh, it was going to be Stallone's character again against terrorists who who took over the Hoover Dam. Uh, I I don't know that that could have that could have easily turned into speed too. Uh, you're kind of limited with the amount of space you have. I mean, it's yeah, it's you're a mountain dam. climbing guy on a dam. You know, I mean, he could do a little bit, but it's not really, uh, it's not not really ideal. Anyway, there was uh, then going to be a remake in uh, 2009 that uh, apparently got stalled. Good. And then, then in, in 2015, there was another talk about Stallone doing a cliff a, a sequel at that time, but nothing nothing has come of that. And I I think it might be best to leave Gabe Walker where he is at yeah. this point. Yeah, one and done is fine for this. this the, I, I got all all of this premise that I needed. He, he he's not John McClane, you know. It's, his his skills kind of only work in the one spot. <laughs> yes, it's like you know, where you got the mountain here? What do you got? <laughs> oh God, cliffhanger two, the Appalachians. Like, I mean, come on, that's when you. Uh. <laughs> but again, just just compressing it to this one movie 
uh, I think it really, you know, it really hit all the buttons for what it is. Um, I, I was a little surprised. I watched, I was watching a, a trailer on you know, YouTube, and they had the the trailer with no dialogue. Oh yeah, was the, the yeah. operatic music playing in the background. That was from Excalibur. And that, that was that was interesting to watch that yeah. way. Uh, you know, I, I I don't know if that would have enticed me to come and see this uh, as much as I don't even remember what. <laughs> it's long enough ago. I don't remember what in particular drew me to go see this in the movie theater. But you know, I was happy that I did. Uh, and I guess that brings us to where we're going. Unless you guys have anything more to add to this. Well, it, I mean, you, you, you've actually just brought up something interesting. You're talking about, you know, like, would that trailer make you want to go today? Absolutely not. But back in the day when that came out, back in 93, that trailer was considered one of the great trailers. I mean, that was that there are so many people who are just like, I am so there. My friend Sean was just like, did you see this cliffhanger trailer? I am so there. We got to go. We got to go first night, you know. And it was one of those things where I and my friends, it, it, it was my close group of friends out of college, were all like, yeah, let's go, let's go. And we had, you know, just have one of those great fun nights where you go see the movie, then you go out, get drunk and have fun and whatnot. It was, it was that perfect kind of popcorn movie. And the trailer really, really pumped you up for it. Just just yeah. as a side point, you know, as as you would with all movies that are supposed to take place on the Colorado Rockies, this was filmed in Italy. Yay! <laughs> Not really exactly sure why that would be, but that was uh, a financial thing. It was so much easier to get the insurance bonds to film over there than in the United States. The United States insurance is just way too much. Well, okay, Makes sense. I, I can go with that, I guess. Uh, you know, I think of, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm definitely dating myself here, but I think of, the, you know, on the show, The Odd Couple, uh, Oscar has a friend who sells insurance. Nothing's in writing. You just shake his hand. He says, <laughs> we, we cut out on all the overhead. We pass the savings along to you. But, you know, I just, I just wonder, you know, with, with that situation when they do have to pay, if it's, uh, you know, not so good. But anyway, <laughs> it's not really my problem necessarily. Uh Anybody want, anybody want to guess at uh, how much money this movie made? Oh, I already know. Uh, I'll say close to worldwide. I'll say close to three hundred. Two fifty-five. All right. With a budget, hey. of, with a budget of seventy. Yeah, that's a pretty damn good take. It's a four X multiplier almost. Yeah, that's 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 a that's a hit. That is and a bona fide so, hit. Stallone actually took a pay cut to help finance some shots and stunts nice yeah that, that's giving 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 your all for the movie i mean i don't know what the arrangement was but usually my understanding is they take the pay cut in exchange for a piece of the gross uh and if he did that he probably ended up with more money than if he hadn't taken a pay cut mm. maybe hey it kept them relevant yeah no that's 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 the same same story as uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger putting some of his money towards the uh, special effects in Terminator 3. Nice. So, where do you drop it on the Jaws scale, guys? Uh, if, I, if I'm going with my head, it's a Jaws 3, and it's not because it's a bad movie. It's just it's not my favorite Stallone movie. I do enjoy it uh, quite a bit. 
I'm never bored watching it. Um, if I'm going with my heart, it's a Jaws 2, because it's the first R-rated movie I saw in a the theater, and I was already a big, you know, Rocky and Rambo guy by that point. Um, so, I don't know. I, got, I mean, I know I got to cut... Yeah, it's 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 a Jaws three, and it's a, it's a beloved Jaws three. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a Jaws three that wants to be a Jaws two. Yeah. Well, I, I'll say this uh, with this caveat: um, it's a Jaws two if you see it on the big screen. If you go to the movie theater and see it, you get that rush every everything. You know, you're not going to get that at home. I, I yeah. mean, you're just not. So at home, it's a Jaws, Jaws 3. And on this big screen, it's a Jaws 2. It's, it's, it's a Jaws 3 because it lacks a certain depth to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, no pun intended. Uh, it, it's, but for just you know pure popcorn, bubblegum enjoyment, it is a Jaws 2. Uh, because you know the definition of Jaws 2 is it's a very enjoyable movie that you can watch over and over again. Bingo, you got that. Uh, you know, this this movie would not be bothersome to watch a second time or a third time or a fourth time because, you know, you, you're you're marveling at, at the beauty of the scenes and the action sequences, you know, how they're put together and that type yeah. of thing. So it, it has that rewatchability. Uh, it probably doesn't have any great quotes in it to speak of. Uh, you know, there's a couple of memorable moments, but it doesn't have that. Uh, it's got an enjoyable score. It's again, I think it's edited and directed well. I think the acting, while it never calls for any kind of an Academy Award level performance, I think the acting is all, you know, very adequate for what's needed in it. So, you know, it, it's it's a Jaws three that's scraping Jaws two. Yeah, I, I agree with that right. completely. Yeah. yeah, I I do have a small story. Uh, not not an important one, but um, back in '95, I was working for AST Computers. I just started working there, and uh, one of my coworkers, David Bonzingo, a real nice guy, was sitting there talking about um, the fact that he lives in the same building with Janine Turner, Ooh. and so they were friends. And she stopped over one day, and he opens the door, and there she is, and standing right next to her, Stallone. Because apparently they were hanging out. And he's, his comment, though, his only comment about the whole thing was, man, he's short. He was he, like 5'7 <laughs> or something like that? Something like that. Yeah, I, I'm 5'3, whatever, you know. <laughs> I'd take 5'7 right now if I could. Shit. Yeah, <laughs> but you got a better chance of being cast as Wolverine now. No, I look a uh, puck or uh, uh, puck. A, a, a bouncing boy. That's about it. Or the Mole Man. That's my dream gig. (laughs) Honestly. Awesome. I'll just take the Underminer, as portrayed by Cliff Clavin. (laughs) I'm seeing that pop up at the end of that movie. I was like, that's great. That is so good. That'll that'll do it for our... uh... Is it yours episode on uh, Cliffhanger? Now, just to, to pull back the curtain a little bit, tonight we were supposed to do our uh, Living Daylights recording, but we lost one of our uh, one of one of our reviewers, so we scrambled. You know, in the last twenty four hours. We couldn't get away from the Remington Steel series, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we scrambled in the last twenty four hours and put together the, the, a Cliffhanger review. 
uh, just because we all want you to be entertained by us. Yeah. So, for what that's worth. Hopefully so. we're Jaws in your heart. But I want to thank you guys for for being willing to change on the fly and and take care of this. And, uh, you know, we'll get together and we'll do uh, Living Daylight soon. Oh, yeah. Excellent. But everybody else, meanwhile, uh, I'm going to just give the two guys a chance to pimp their uh, wares. And then uh, we'll see you next time. You go ahead, guys. Take over. Go ahead, Hero. All right. Well, I am still on the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror with uh, Chris Honeywell and the Jack and Eddie boys. And uh, whenever Luke and Jay and I can get around to it, we do get back to the wrestling where we talk about uh, usually old wrestling stuff because we're old. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that's really all I'm up to now. I don't really do anything on Facebook anymore because Facebook is dumb. And, uh, yeah. But uh, if you want to reach me, uh, you can get a message to me somehow, I'm sure. And uh, I pop up on all these other fine programs when somebody needs to, you know, get filled in for it. <laughs> so. The, the two true freaks journeyman. Yeah. Yeah. Master and... of nothing. Or the two true <laughs> freaks every man. Yeah, you guys. There you that. go. There you yes. go. Uh, you can find me, of course, on Third Degree Burn, where I, Tim Elliott, Kurt Greenfield, John Hyatt, and David Thompson all get together to talk about the works of John Byrne. And uh, just because people still don't know enough about it, I've got to tell you all, if you haven't had a chance, you need to go to John Byrne's website, burnrobotics.com, and check out his fan fiction where he's doing X-Men Elsewhen. He's picked up the X-Men after the Dark Phoenix saga. It's been nearly three years now he's been doing this, and it's just not the words not been getting out enough. And uh, I've been I've been dealing uh, to Paul under the table. He's been getting his issues through me, and, and uh, you, you've got a, a considerable tab there. I need you to follow up on Paul. Yeah, well, I'm, I, I think I'm just looking at my folder now. I'm up to issue 20 in my folder, so you got to up, update me of whatever's come out since then. Yeah, we're up to like 31 or 32 now. So yeah. And uh, did you get to the uh, the alt X Men yet? No. Oh. I get, you know weird. I got to just I got to binge read and just get get through everything. There's yeah. like a million books I want to read. And <laughs> I'll tell you guys about this now. It's something that um, I'm working on in the background. Um, been working on for a little while. Uh, I'm I'm putting together a show called That One Thing, where uh, guests will be able to come on the show and talk about. They can talk about a comic, they can talk about a movie, they can talk about a car they had, or a date they had, or, you know, anything that, that, you know, is legal, of course, and some things that aren't, but uh, anything that brings out the passion in the person or the fandom in a person. Uh, It's it's called That One Thing, and I thought about using as the promo the scene from City Slickers where Curly's talking about that one thing, but... uh, (laughs) Might have some legal issues, and then, of course, he does drop the S-bomb, so it'd be bad for a promo to have a bleep out in it. Well, we'll look forward to that when it comes. All righty. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks again, guys, for coming on, and again, thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Watch yourself under the overhang. You can deliver any time. Anytime you feel like saying something, don't. We're waiting, gentlemen. I need my bolt gun and ice axe. No. 
Don't give him anything. Take his coat for insurance. He can freeze to death! You've got your own problems, Hal. Ryan, get a rope. I want this dog on a leash, too. Tie it. It better hold. we need two guides retire him when he comes down they're gonna kill you don't come down Guys. don't come hold the rope hold the rope uh, oh god damn it oh. Oh.
your friend just had the most expensive funeral in history. Now it's only you. Come in, rescue unit. Rescue unit, come in. Hal, what's going on, Hal? Hal? Talk. No messages, no codes, no tricks. You haven't found us. It was a fake call. Jesse, I've just reached the top of the tower. So far, there's no sign of anyone. Looks like a phony call, over. You've got to be kidding me. Do you want me to fly up after you? Over. No, negative. Winds are still too high. I'm going to ride out the storm up here. Uh, we'll take shelter at the old Douglas. Hal, Hal, I'm losing you. Hal, come in. Come in, Hal. Over. Go on to the next case. He said the tower, but he's on Cone Bluff. Frank, fly me to the West Valley. The winds are never too strong there. It's only a half-hour climb to the Douglas Shaft. It's the only shelter for miles around. Hal would have to go there. Jesse, that is a bad idea. Please, Frank. Look, if I don't find him, you can come and pick me up by nightfall. Hal would have my head. He has such a handsome head. Please, Frank. I'll buy one of your paintings. Where is it? There! On top of the peak! Hold it! Looks like a winding route to me. The fastest way is straight up the east face. Of course, there are only 12 guys in the world who could do it. Want to try it? <laughs> 